John chapter 5, we're talk, well, obviously we're talking about a pool. Some people are there, something's happening. And um, last week, okay, last week kind of sets the stage. If you remember last week, um, we talked about an official, right? We talked about um, a guy who was, we don't know if he was Jew or Gentile, right? He had a sick son, almost to the point of death, right? Remember that? He had a sick son, almost to the point of death. He runs into Jesus, says, hey, listen, you've got to come home. You've got to touch my boy. You've got to heal him. He's going to die. And uh, Jesus basically says, he's well. Go ahead. Go home. And it's about like, you know, 20 to 30 miles away. Guy eventually takes off, goes home. And uh, sure enough, his boy was made well. And then he asked the servants that were there, like, hey, when did this happen? When did he start to feel better? Well, he started to feel better right around the seventh hour, 7 p.m. yesterday. He's like, wow, that's right when. Bless you. That's right when we ran into him. And right when Jesus said, hey, listen, he's made well. And so last week we talked about um, Jesus' response to the man, which was he said that unless you see, you guys will never believe. And we talked a lot about that last week, about being a sensual Christian. Not in a sexual kind of way, but sensual meaning with your senses. Meaning whatever I can see, I believe. Whatever I can touch, I'll believe. Whatever I can feel, I will believe. And a lot of times in the Christian faith and our walk with God, we cannot see, think, or feel. Or, in fact, on the other end, whatever we see, think, or feel is like totally contrary to what we think God would do. And then it paralyzes us from really walking and following after Him. And we talked about right a lot of that last week, that focus of, man, the struggle for us a lot of times is that we're called to walk by faith by believing, even if we don't see it, feel it, or think it, and it's not around us. Even if it looks horrible, and all signs point to danger, horrible, what's going on, it's falling apart, I want to freak out, I'm overwhelmed, I'm frustrated. Anybody know anything about these feelings? Yeah, yeah. Right? You live life for a little while, you know these things. Some people keep it bottled up, some people let it show, it comes, you can see it all over them. Either way, we've been there and we feel it. And Jesus is saying, man, don't let that stuff rock your faith. Because it's coming. But don't let it rock you. Because your faith is worth more than gold. And we talked about all that stuff last week. So if you missed any of that, you need a refresher, listen again online. It's good stuff. So this week is very interesting. And here's a thought that I was thinking about as, as I was reading uh, the passage and you know, just spending time with, this week with the Lord. And um, Sometimes I think about um, you know, people that you know, have a significant uh, gifting and, and have a high faith level to where they can walk into a situation, they could pray for somebody that's sick, they could pray for somebody that's hurting, and then that circumstance, that thing, that environment, that sickness is healed, it's gone, it's over. Things just changed from so-and-so person praying. They prayed in faith for something, all of a sudden... The cancer lump that was there is like is now gone, right? All of a sudden when they pray, those migraine headaches that they're getting, like, it's just gone. All of a sudden while they're praying, there's like a warm, tingleness thing, weird feeling going on, like, and that's the way the person describes it, and then they keep praying, and then the thing never comes back. So I don't know where you fall on that side of the fence. Do you think it can happen? Do you think it can't? I'll just say this in regards to that. Um, if it can't happen and God does not do those things, there are millions of people, since Christ, millions of people that have a lot of, as I Love Lucy would say, a lot of splaining to do. <laughs> because, man, that's what the majority of their testimonies are, where they've showed up on scenes, prayed for people, and they've seen God do amazing, miraculous things. So millions of people got... They must just all be lunatics. And then the people that received it must be out of their minds as well. So there's definitely something to it. And as far as my position is, and I think where this church, where we're headed, and what I firmly believe what God wants to do in our church, is to have us be people of faith who walk in that type of culture and environment and that kind of lifestyle on a daily basis. It's just how we function. I believe that's our calling. I really do, and you can't shake it out of me. It's just there. 
God has put it there. Just like I love you guys and I, love, you know, I just love people, this is just there as well. Because the cross has accomplished more than just a prayer to get us out of hell. It's done more than that. Jesus has made it really clear. I've come to give you life and give you life abundantly. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to walk in. So I think about this stuff and I'm like, man, you know, some of these guys and that have this kind of gifting and can react like that, you know, why don't they just show up to the hospital and clean house, bed to bed? And you know, they're up, they're out. Tell you what, right? And then if you had that, right? I don't even want to say if. I want to say when you're in a position when your faith is moving like that. I'm saying when. So we're all called to do. It might seem absolutely crazy and radical to you, but tell you what, Jesus paid a price for that, and he promised these things to happen. I'm going to show you later. I'll give you the verses. It's not just my opinion. So when these things happen, right? But I'm thinking of, you know, I'm in a hospital, and God is moving, saying, hey, you know, let's go do such and such. I'm going right to the cancer ward on the kids' floor, and I'm cleaning house, right? Wouldn't you go and do something like that? Boom. Let's just bring it. And I think it's something, you know, to think about. Like, if somebody in the the gift of healing is real and is powerful and it resides in somebody's life, I think it's a reasonable question. Why not go to the nearest hospital and, like, let's do some things? And um, the story we're going to read today is going to kind of help address some of that thought process and be like, well, can we just show up in a hospital-like environment and God is just going to heal everybody we touch all the time or does he want to or how does that stuff fall into place, right? Because this healing conversation has already happened. It started last week, right? It started last week with this guy's son and Jesus showed that distance wasn't an issue. And so uh, he's going to show right now um, that time span isn't really an issue either. And we're going to look at some other things as well. So let's see what's going on. Sound good? All right, let's do it. So John chapter 5. Let's see what's going on. Healing and God and your will and your plan. And should we think that way? And Jesus is Jesus. And is this for us? You know, let's see. John chapter 5, verse 1. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. So Jesus, after he did this thing right with this man and his son, he's going up for a feast. We don't know the feast. There's no description on it. We don't know anything about it. There's a, there's a few possibilities of what it could have been, but we don't know. It's not really that important either. So let's see. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate. Everybody say Sheep Gate. Sheep Gate. What the heck is that? There's this thing there, Sheep Gate, Um, where there actually was a gate, and they would have the sheep kind of flowing through it, and all these sheep would enter in through that gate for Passover time. Because that's what they would be giving as a sacrifice. And all these sheep that would be coming in would be a sacrifice to atone for the sin and the guilt of a nation. It's a crazy picture, right? We don't really live in that society. We don't have that. Jesus paid it once and for all. We don't come in here and like, cut things up or kill anything, right? The the time for that is over. It's over. So near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. We say Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. Bethesda means house of mercy, which is interesting. So you have the sheep gate where the sheep would go in, their blood and their sacrifice would be used that's the forgiveness of sins, and this is all happening in the house of mercy, okay? And which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches. So there's like five porches. This big, giant pool. You got five porches near the sheep gate. I wonder how it smelled. Like, that just means it must be like a weird spot. <laughs> the sheep are pooping as they're walking, you know, and you're going in the water. I don't know. And these pools are like what we talked about last time. Remember we were talking about the mikvah? You remember that? One of our Jewish lessons, right? The mikvah is like a baptismal basin. Okay, and that's like what they had there. And that's what this pool was about. So verse 3. Here, a great number of disabled people, and I like the King James, New King James Version, 
uh, better, where they name it as infirmity. It's a better translation. So here a great number of people with infirmities or disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So you'd have this scene at this porch and all the sick people would just be there. Kind of like a hospital, right? They're all just sitting there. Now the question is, why are they sitting there? What's going on? Let's see. Verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. It's a long time. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Seems like a weird question, right? We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Talk about missing the point. It's just like, what? Verse 11, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? This is interesting. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So this guy had no idea who told him. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple And said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. What is that? The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, this is interesting, right? You got this scene near the sheep gate, you got the colonnade, you have all the lame there paralyzed, sick, blind. And the situation was this. At this pool, they'd all come there, and the belief, I don't know, we'll just call it a belief, but the belief was that when the water was stirred, so you'd have like this big pool, everybody was there, at some point in time, the water would become stirred. So the belief was that an angel would stir the water, and that the first person in the water would get healed of whatever sickness or disability or infirmity that they had. And that's a strange situation, right? Very strange. Like, that's a time where, man, second place really sucks. (laughs) Right? That's horrible. Yeah, it is the first loser. That stinks, right? And that's kind of like the way the law really is. The way the old covenant really works is there's, man, there's some real strict guidelines and parameters. Man, only if you're the first one. If you call a shotgun, you get there first like you're good. What about everybody else? Thank God for grace in a brand new covenant, right? But this is old covenant. Jesus hadn't died. A life in the spirit is not possible. There is no other way. So it's like, I guess an angel comes, he stirs it, somebody goes in, they get healed. So then you have a guy there who for 38 years was an invalid. He could never get there first because why? People would just beat him to it. He can't make his way down there. As soon as I get started, somebody else beats me down there. And then Jesus asked him a really weird question, right? The strangest question. Well, do you want to be made well? It's an odd question, I think, right? Duh, is kind of like the response, I think, that you'd get. But if Jesus is asking this question, it's got to be more than Jesus having an off day and just asking a silly question. I think it's true, and there's probably some wisdom in this question, to the fact that this guy's been 38 years like this, right? He's planned his whole life around this, and it's been like that a long time. Here's what he knows. He knows his mat. He knows his little space where he sits. He knows his routine when he goes to the pool. When it gets stirred, somebody gets in there. It's probably not going to be him. And then he probably gets up and he goes wherever else. And he's got his routine for the same 38 years. 
And I'm sure he wasn't thinking when he was a young man or younger that he'd end up in this position and end up like this. So what he did is he built his whole life, and his entire life, 40 years worth, had been structured around dysfunction. Isn't that true? So now, Jesus is saying, well, you sure you want to be made well? Because what's about to happen is your whole world is about to change entirely. Everything that you have known previous is all going to change. Are you sure that you want that? Now that makes a little bit more sense. Because some people are not so gung-ho about something that they've known for 40 years. Their own system, their own way, their own routine, they're kind of settled in it. Well, I know it's screwed up, but I'm just used to it, and so I just do it. And God's like, man, I'll heal you, and I'll change that. I'll make it brand new. Let's just do this. Do you want this? Eh, you know? Makes you wonder. It's easier to see, like, maybe with an illustration of, like, marriage where, you know, maybe you have a couple, you know, that's been married, and the marriage maybe hasn't exactly gone to plan. And years and years and years have gone by, and it's, now it's taken some weird shape and some weird form. And people have been used to just living in it. Dysfunction and weirdness, but everybody's used to it. They know what to expect, and it just kind of goes that way. And then let's say Jesus then comes onto the scene, and one of them starts going to church, you know, and starts changing a life, and is like, man, Let's say they're both on board together and like, man, God wants to change our marriage and our household completely. That's a big decision right then and there to surrender to that. One, that's a huge piece of humble pie, a huge whole humble pie you got to eat. Because who knows what past decisions, mistakes, past habits that have already been enforced and ingrained that now you got to battle with. And now you're going to keep battling with probably for a long time. And now you've got to change all kinds of thoughts, attitudes, and minds. Listen, for a lot of people, that's just threatening because it's a lot of work. Duh. I know what I know. We've been doing it this way. Let's just stay this route. Now the question is making more sense, right? Makes a lot more sense. Do you want to be made well? Well, I don't know. I'm kind of used to what I know. This is going to open up a whole other can I don't know anything about. I'm not prepared for. I don't know. So maybe it's not that strange if he's asking it, you know, in that way. So then as his answer to the question is interesting, the guy doesn't even really address that. He just really says, yeah, I can't get down into the pool when I try to get in there. Somebody gets ahead of me. And so then Jesus goes, man, miraculously, he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. So did he like pray really hard for like 20 minutes, half hour, really strain, and find the words? And did he even like speak to him? He said, demon, get out of you. Free him. He did in other places, but he didn't hear, right? Just man, get up and walk. Just do this. Here's the crazy thing. He didn't even know who it was. In verse 13, right, he didn't even know. Because they asked him, he said, who did this? You're carrying your mind, you're not supposed to. He's like, well, the guy who like fixed me, he told me to do it. So I did it, Listen to him, seen the paid off, so I'm doing it. It's amazing. So something about Jesus, or maybe who he's with, maybe the crowd with him, he's like, just do what he said. <laughs> Shut up, you know, just do it, right? Something about it was convincing enough, man, where he's like, that was like his big moment. 38 years in one position, now he's not even going into the pool, and he's got some guy he doesn't even know, maybe he's hearing something from other people, and after 40 years, he's like, I'm going to try and get up and walk. Yeah, that's a big time moment. That's a big time moment. It's a big time moment still like today when people come face to face with their creator and someone who made them. He's like, man, I made life for you. I have value in you, a destiny for you. I know what's in the past, man. Let's get on the same page now. Let's move forward. Don't go there anymore. That's a huge, huge deal. Because now they're about to take that first step in faith, like pick up their old, ah, and they're moving on. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. This guy does it. 
And then you got your religious folk who are always looking with a finger, looking to pick out the wrong stuff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. It says that in the Old Testament, like he spoke through Moses on the tablets. You know, Exodus 20, 20, it says don't do any work on the Sabbath. You definitely cannot pick up your mat and walk. What? Talk about missing the point. Talk about missing the point. And unfortunately, it's just common a lot in the church, right, where people just see me and all the things that are wrong and are hypercritical about a lot of stuff going on. And man, it's just not good and not helpful. It's true that in order to walk with God and be with God, like, He does require righteousness. He does require holiness. He does require that we make the right choices and right decisions. It's also true that people are growing and learning and that he is going to make aware to that person what needs to be done. Sometimes he uses us to voice that in the appropriate situation. But many times, there's a lot of really eager church people really eager to help correct somebody else's life. There's a lot of eager people to do that. Got to be careful of that stuff. We have to be careful of that stuff. Hopefully we're loving them first and our heart breaks for them more than we want to see them corrected. Because so many times it just turns out to be a thing, man, just think like I do and believe what I do and here's what the Bible says and make sure you do it. Man, we're called to communicate value and like pull, like just love on people. Rooted in that, and then we'll get to the other stuff. God will get us there. So these guys totally messed up. Who told you to do it? The man who healed me, uh, he had no idea who it was. He just slipped away into the crowd. Then, Jesus finds this guy at the temple. He says this weird thing. He says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Well, well, well. What kind of response is that? That like invokes a lot of questions. What's the deal? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That's why I got that question there in your bulletin. Is all infirmity in people's lives a result of sin? So stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Well, it's kind of a yes and a no. So let me ask you this. In the Garden of Eden, right at the very beginning, was there any sickness, disease in the Garden? None, right? So let me ask you this. So in heaven, where we're going to reside forever, okay, is there going to be any sickness or disease there? No. No. So do you think that in his presence, there's going to be any sickness or disease in his presence? Sure doesn't seem like it, right? So I would say the initial kind of beginning stages, like sickness and illness as a whole, showed up probably when sin showed up. And when they made that wrong choice in the garden, man, all this stuff entered in. Sickness entered in. My decision, my free will, and ability to like then question God, that was never there in the beginning, Right? It was never in the beginning to question God and be like, well, what's he doing? You know, why is he doing this? That was the result of the fall. Are you with me? Like that capacity to sort of put God on trial and question him, that's a result of the fall. So, okay, then sin, or then sickness, right, shows up right through sin, but then is all sin, right? Any sickness that anybody has is a direct result of some kind of sin in their lives. That's the million-dollar question. And that one's kind of a yes and a no. Because, listen, this is base, right? So what we've got to do is we've got to go back to the Bible and see what it says. And not just take opinions and what people think. So right here, I think it's very evident that Jesus says, hey, listen, stop doing this, right? Stop sinning, whatever it was. I, I don't know what... Jesus heard or was around or whatever conversation happened. He said, man, just stop sinning. Something worse may happen. 
So in this case right here, you can definitely see that sin was playing a role with the sickness somehow, some way. Something possibly, probably that he was even doing, right? Okay. Then, if you look at John, do I have this slide over there? John, uh, John 9. No, I don't have it. So John 9. So take a look at this one. I'll just read it to you if you don't turn there. It's only a couple pages away. It says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Same kind of situation, right? That's the situation. Right? Who sinned? What happened? Look at the response. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So did sin that this guy committed play a role in his sickness? No. Nothing that he did. It was really just there for a platform for God's work to be displayed. Right? So for people to go around and give really heavy guilt trips on why somebody is sick for a particular reason is really dangerous things to do, right? I don't know how many of us are in the position where we can say, man, you are sick because of that sin in your life. (sighs) Unless God, man, gives some super clear revelation beyond a shadow of a doubt... I guess okay in that case, man, you got to communicate that. God showed you something, you got to relay it. I think that is very far and few between. Very far and few between. The other thing about that is that sickness should be, could be used as a way for God's work to be displayed. I mean, isn't it the case so many times where we're like, okay. It's like people's lives are on hold until the medical thing gets dealt with. No. No. Well, until I get, until I see Dr. So-and-so, until I get this medication, uh, until these test results come back different, like, then I can then I will. Man, listen. If this thing is about glory coming through God in the midst of it, and in the middle of it, and maybe He just put it there just for that reason, and allowed it just for that reason, why are we wasting time for what we might hear from something else? Why not just march forward in the truth? Man, and just go with it. Is it making sense? Like, our, our thing in here, right? One possible response. And I'll get to all these in a minute. One possible response. And I think that's on the last slide, Josh. Right? One possible response. See, the heart of this thing is this. We offer in faith all that we have. We offer all of ourselves in faith all that we have. Because if the purpose is to glorify God and have Him work in us, That's what we do. We offer in faith all that we have. Everything. I was reading some testimonials the other day about this woman, uh, you know, in the hospital, and, man, she's sick and laid up with something. Man, and she was praying for the nurses, and God did work, boom, right on the spot, right in those nurses' lives. And she's the one in the hospital sick. That's the way this stuff happens. So often, so many people think, Oh, uh, I got to get, you know, cleaned up over here and get this better there. And Man, His grace has saved us and made a way for us no matter the situation. That's a reality for us. That's what Jesus has said to us. Let me put it to you like this. I got a slide, Josh, with a couple of these verses on there. Mark 16. Take a look at this. Mark 16. Can't read it. Sorry, the writing's pretty bad. Mark 16, 17 through 18. He who believes 
and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs follow those that believe. These signs follow those that and these signs follow those that... So these signs follow those that get their lives cleaned up. These signs follow those that went to seminary. These signs follow those that didn't make mistake last week. So these signs follow those that read the Bible this morning and got a memory verse this morning. No, man. It's to follow those that believe. Just believers. So these signs follow just Jesus because he was special. No. So these signs follow just the apostles. I'm just saying what, this is what it says. And these signs follow those that believe. And you can look at it in the Greek. They believe. That's it. It's ones who believe. People that believe. Hold value and that believe to. Adhere to. That's it. Those that believe. Faith is important. This stuff is borderline fantasy. Yes. Follow those that believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Oh, you believe in tongues, you know. If you believe, yes. New tongues. New language. Why not? It's right there. They would take up serpents. Don't start playing with snakes just because it says it, you know. But if you're put in a situation where something happens, you're good. And if they drink anything deadly or by no means hurt them, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So it says, it might take one year, it might take 38 years. Come on. I can feel the faith level in the room just moved up a notch. We're going up another notch because that's just dangerous. That's what's dangerous, guys. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I can feel it. That's what's dangerous for the enemy. If they can get us distracted and believe and caught up in other things, our faith level stays at a place. Our faith level is called to increase. Our faith has incredible power. I don't understand why God does it that way, but that's the way he said that he does it. And many of us are just staying here. I can't do anything else. I can't move on forward from here because of, and man, fill in the blank. We've got to just believe in faith. Look at the next one. Maybe this was just a lucky passage I got. Look at the next one. John 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes. So just believers. It's regular blue-collar folk like you and I. Believers. Most of I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works, whoa, greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. So not just like the stuff Jesus did, it won't even be uncommon to see something that Jesus did not do. Let's go is right. So people are like, ah, eh, you know, I didn't see Jesus heal, like, you know, uh, that blood disease in the Bible, so maybe, like, he doesn't do that, you know. I mean, we're going to do, like, that stuff and above that. So hard to do that if we're stuck in our own nonsense, though. Because now we're sacrificing truth, and faith is stifled. But, hey, we can get some other people to sympathize with us and tell us how horrible it is, and they can relate. That's not what we're called to, guys. It's not what we're called to. Maybe that was just a lucky two verses. Look at this one. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, 21. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, and I love how Jesus is saying all of this. Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast and say it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believe you will receive. If you have faith and do not doubt, right? The issue here is faith and believing. The issue, no, like this stuff wasn't just, well, great for Jesus. He was Jesus. Ah, he kind of has to do it. Great for the apostles. They hung out with Jesus, so they sort of have to do it. True, true. Also true. 
we are called, because we're believers, to function in our lives in some kind of similar way. Is it going to look exactly the same? No. Is it going to be the same as two Christians sitting next to each other? No, it'll just look however it looks. But these things will not be formed, and to believe and think this way will be commonplace. I was talking with uh, um, a guy who works at a church, uh, you know, not too far away, and we are talking about stuff in a church and everything, and, you know, they were talking about, like, you know, new stuff they were doing and programs and different things, and, like, it was cool, you know, and I was, like, halfway excited. I was like, yeah, you know, that's pretty neat, that's pretty awesome, and um, I said, uh, and I started sharing some other things, and uh, he's like, man, well, then, like, what would just... You do it for you, you know, at the church. I said, well, I gave him a whole bunch of list of things. But one of the things, because it just pertains to this morning, was that, man, that just, man, people, brothers and sisters in the church, man, would just operate just in the faith that has been given to them. Man, that they would just pray and that people would be made well. That they would be rocked with the situation that they themselves, they themselves could be stuck in and dealing with whatever's going on but that's not a barrier to reach out and go past it and think, man, where can I invest into somebody else? Because I still have destiny, worth, and value, and he's looking to work through me, so I know this thing's going on with me, and maybe all I can do is like barely walk, you know, so then maybe I can stay at home, I can call some people up and like encourage them. Maybe I can, uh, you know, pray for them. Uh, maybe I don't have a car or anything, I can't go anywhere, but, may, you know, like, there's creative things to think about in ways of, like, how can I get God to be shining and working through me? These kind of things should be, like, consuming our thoughts on a daily basis for the most part, because this is what he wants to do through us. Is this stuff too much? It's really what we're called to. It's really what we're called to. Now, here's the danger. Here's the danger. The danger is this. The danger is to, let's say, God does something awesome, something miraculous, touches somebody in some way, shape, or form. And then, that is like confirmation that God loves me and that he hears me and like I need that stuff to be able to walk out my Christian faith. That's where some danger can come in. Because then it becomes like an idol. And we start chasing the healings and chasing the faith and chasing the latest thing. Can't do that stuff. It just says those signs follow those that believe. Like, man, as we just enjoy him and walk with him, stuff would just come out. And hopefully, like an act, a prayerful act of faith when talking about these things is a prayer that would go like this, a prayer that would be like, Lord, I know you're going to bring these things into my life. I thank you for increasing my faith. I pray that I don't miss this stuff. And I pray, Father, that you would make me secure in my relationship with you so that way when you bring that, I can handle it. And I'm not going to get weirded out by it. And it's not going to go to some weird place. And I'm not going to find my identity or self-worth in it. And I don't even know where you guys are at on that. But that would be like a prayer of faith to communicate to God, like, hey, I agree with you. I stand on what you said. I'm in agreement with your promises and your word. I know you're bringing it, but I also know my flesh. And I want to put that in your hands right now. Does that make sense? So, like, so here's one thing, right? So one prayer I have, right? You may have noticed. I don't know if you noticed or not. But I don't have any hair. So I don't know if you noticed that, right? But I don't, yeah, I don't have any. So, right, that's one of my, so as I'm praying with God and as I'm spending time with him, see, I think there's a time period, there could be, and God makes it clear in the Bible that um, if he says no, it's just no. You keep asking, seeking, and knocking. And if he says no in some way, shape, or form, then you just stop. Because that's what Paul did. He said, Lord, just remove this like thorn in my flesh. Remove this thing from me. He said he asked them three times. That doesn't sound like very many, but he asked them three times. And God said, no, I'm not doing it. You're going to stay with that, and uh, you're going to see my grace is sufficient. You're going to be okay. So he goes, okay, stop praying about it. 
So sometimes there is a place for that. So we keep persevering in prayer, keep pushing in, keep going after this thing to feel like God's saying, nope, I'm not touching that. I'm not doing a work with that. And you say, okay, Lord, then how are you going to be glorified in this? What are we doing? So I just want to make sure I said that and that's out there. Right, so as far as like me not having any hair, right? So I don't think that God has said like no to that thing. So I just keep pressing in after it. So here's the way he's changed like one of my prayers as we go forward the past couple of years. See, because he's raising my faith level. So it used to look like, well, Lord, I know you can. I think uh, you want to. Uh, hopefully you do something. Something like that. You know, that's not like the exact words, but that's, uh, that's like the mindset. So then it turned to like, Lord, um, I, I do actually think that you want to. I think that, I think that you love me, and uh, I, I think that like, it's sinful that that infirmity is there, and I don't think I'm supposed to like live with that. I don't think I don't think that's it. So then, now it's changed to. See how, see how it progressed right from the first one to the second one? Like, I wasn't even totally sold that he even really cared that much and like there should be a place for him to remove it. But I can't see anywhere in the Bible where that's the case. And he just loves people. He wants to remove it. He says, in his presence, like sickness like, just will not be there. Stuff will not be there. So whatever, I guess my faith level has just got to get bigger. That's just, it is what it is. That's humbling, but that's where it's at. So... Now, it's, Lord, I got two little kids. I pray you don't, they don't get weirded out when they see their dad fully covered with hair. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. That, that's what my prayer is. So until God says, okay, stop praying that like this thing ain't changing, then that's fine. But that's like where the faith level is at. Does it make sense how that transitioned and how that changed? And to now, man, I just, Stand in faith. So I'm not going to be surprised. Like, you all be surprised. Well, maybe you won't be surprised. And that was one of the things I didn't know if I was going to tell you or not. I was like, I'm just going to tell you because then, Lord, that will increase their faith level. I tell them ahead of time and you do it. I don't care. Glory be to you. And then if you don't, then you don't. Whatever. It's not about me anyways, right? So, um, so then in the meantime, it's tempting to, for people to get caught up in, well, I guess I'll wait till I hear from God and see what he does. And then it's tempting to then not step out in faith for other people that may be in and around lives. Man, I can tell you, God has done some pretty incredible stuff when I prayed for him that he has not done to me. What is that all about? I don't care. It's for him anyways, right? Because so many people are on like waiting status until their thing gets worked out and then I'll enter in and I'll take a risk of faith and I'll, like, I'll get out there and try and minister to other people. That's nonsense. It's a lie. If the enemy knew, if you knew what he knows, it's going to be a big problem for him. So I mean, if he can distract us with, you know, difficult day at work, uh, some kind of bad report, uh, money's not coming in, like all this like stuff, you know. It gets us too easily for, you know, too often. It's a sad thing. So the idea, right, that last slide, one more time, the possible response, one possible response, offer in faith all that we have. Because it's really a step of faith. Because for the person that's really struggling through things, trying to work things out, and that's probably about all of us, struggling through things, trying to work things out, we might feel like we're not in a place or a position to go like, be there for our neighbor or something and pray for them. We're not, we might not feel like we're in the position when we're at Walmart and we see the guy in a cast and we're like, eh, sounds kind of weird, man, but can I just pray for her? Like, God just put it on my heart. I, you know. It's cool if you say, no, that's fine. I just, I just want you to know, you know, can I just pray? Like, people who are struggling and going through things like, oh, I, I'm going through so much, you know, I could never do it, you know get caught up in this stuff, what does that have anything to do with the truth? All that other stuff could also be true. It's also true. He's looking to bring more of his children into his kingdom 
and communicate his love and power and grace through us, no matter the state. Right? That's the case. And hopefully we are armed with that when our feet hit the floor in the morning. And that's why it's so important just like to get into the Word somehow, some way, first thing in the morning. Somehow, some way, speaking to the Lord in our room somewhere, on the way to work, and when things are off, they can go, I don't know, what's going on with this day? But I know you want to speak and work through me. And it may just in common ways of being nice and being understanding and listening and being considerate, but you may also be maybe wanting to do something else, and I hope I don't miss it. That's where the real Christian life is at. The real Christian life isn't just showing up here on Sundays. That's just a small part. Just together to stir each other on, be encouraged by what he's doing, by who he is, by his word and by his promises that are true, because we won't hear any of that really during the week. So we'll come together, we'll celebrate that, we'll stir one another on, and then we have our chance. Our chances during the week. And we're strategically put wherever we are. And he's looking to work through us. And it's going to make us look silly at times. It definitely will. Hopefully you're okay with that. Hopefully you're okay with that. Yeah, so this healing at the pool thing, you know, it's, it's such a different time. Like, this happened then. You know, as, as I just pray, as I do all the time when I prepare these messages, I'm like, Lord, what do you want to say to us like with this passage? Like, you know, so long ago, this guy was at this pool. Like, we don't have a pool here. There's not a bunch of people laying on mats. You know, what's the deal? The deal is this. He's come. He's died. His spirit is here. And he told us in his word what's supposed to follow those that believe. And I just felt like he's ministering to heart. He's like saying, Jared, are you guys in agreement with what I'm doing? That's the call. Are you guys in agreement? I've already set the way. It's already done. The price has already been paid. You're good. Like, let's move forward in it. So let me just make sure I do all these because I always forget. Although I've been better. What was the name of the pool? Bethsaida. What does that name mean? House of Mercy. It's pretty cool that the miracle happened in the House of Mercy, isn't it? Why would Jesus ask that question, right? Why did he ask that question, do you want to be made well? That's right. Because sometimes his miracles can be threatening. They can threaten everything that we once knew. Everything we were familiar with. Because he's looking to rock it all. And it's so worth it. But it takes a while for our minds to catch up to that. Even if our hearts know what's really going on. Right? Why would Jesus say that to him at the temple? Man, because sin matters. We just got to stay away from that stuff. Ugh. And if we're like still caught in things, man, we're at church right now. Like, Let's confess it right now. We're at church this morning. Make sure sin just stays out of there. And the more we focus on being in relationship with him, sin gets minimized smaller and smaller. If we get stuck in stuff and we keep battling the same kind of things that are coming up, we're not really seeing real clear exactly who we are and what God says about us. So do everything that you can to start like getting a grasp on that. What's God saying about me? Who exactly am I now that I'm a believer and I'm in him? What's he saying? Because when we're locked in on that stuff, we're just not really tempted to go and, and do other things. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. It'd be pretty squeaky clean, though, I'll tell you that. Because the stuff won't even really appetize you. It's just not even, you see it for what it is. Is all infirmity in people's lives a result of sin? Yes and no. Sometimes because of whatever sin is going on, it needs to be spoken to and broken. Other times it's just there. And it's a platform for him to accomplish his will and work. So it's another testimony. I had this thing. This was going on. Look what God did. How many, this is interesting to me. How many did Jesus heal? 
There's only one recorded person that got healed at the hospital. Only, maybe, maybe more happened. And maybe John conveniently forget to put that down. I guess that's an option. It really kind of reads like only one person, for whatever reason, on that day, got healed. It's interesting to me. Why didn't Jesus just be like, <laughs> and like they're all up and throwing masks and like going crazy and like doing stuff. I don't know. It says in the word that Jesus, you know, a couple places, says that Jesus said, you know, I only do the things that I see my father doing. And maybe just, you know, his father was not at work, you know, in other lives at that particular time in that moment. It was, it was that man's moment right then. I don't know. It's kind of exciting to think that he's also going to use us to bring about moments to those around us. And it could be your coworker's moment tomorrow. Like, that could be their day. Hopefully I'm ready, you know? Hopefully you're ready. So going to the hospital to heal people? I don't know. I don't think that uh, it might not be every, it might not be God's will at that moment, right then and there, to be healed immediately right away. Maybe God is God and he knows some things we don't know and some things need to happen first before he's going to do something. It's not really a great answer. (laughs) That's all I got for you right now. And that's really all the word seems to give you. And we got our possible response, right? Offer in faith all that we have. So that's what what I'm hoping happens out of this morning. You're going to go out this week and maybe be like, I'm giving everything I got. Whatever it is. You might not have a lot. But there's stuff we could do. There's texts we could send. There's emails we can send. There's people we can talk to. There's cards we can give. There's gifts we can pass on. There's prayers we can pray. We can do. There's stuff we can do.